Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing. I'm your host, Amy Woods Butler, and I've been a full-time life story writer for over five years. Hello, friends, and welcome to the third episode of the Life Story Coach podcast. There are two big skills that you need to have a good grasp of in order to do life story writing. There's lots of smaller skills, but what I consider the two big ones are writing and interviewing. And today we're going to talk about what I think of as the most important of these two, and that is interviewing. With interviewing, I'm I'm using that word, but you could very easily substitute the word listening because most of what you'll be doing is a form of active listening. Now, whether or not you've had experience interviewing people um, in other capacities, you're going to find that doing so for a life story project is a very different animal than other types of interviewing. So for example, I used to do um, I used to do book reviews and I also got into doing author interviews um, and I also did a few interviews with people in the movie industry. Uh, these were conducted over phone, over the telephone and um, they were done with a very specific um, intent. In, in mind. Um, I knew what the end product was going to be. It was going to be um, for a newspaper or magazine. But once I started doing the life story writing and the interviews in order to write the books, I realized that it was a, I had to bring a completely different mindset um, and a different set of skills to the table. Uh, and when I say table, I actually mean the couch or the armchair or wherever the person, the storyteller is most comfortable. And um, so today we're going to cover two aspects, the the setup and the setting and the technical sides of things, including what kind of gear that I suggest that you use for recording. Um, that's actually the easier part. The second big topic, which I'll address a little bit later, is more along the human side of things, the, the communication skills that go into conducting the interview. Okay, so let's first dive into the setting. Um, Choosing the right environment is crucial because it will determine to a large degree how comfortable your storyteller is, and that will determine the quality of the, the conversation that you have. So obviously, physically, you want them to feel comfortable, but more importantly, um, you need them to have a good, uh, be in a good mental space. You want to make sure that the storyteller is someplace that's conducive to conversation. Um, and generally that means that it's going to be in their home, you know, in their, in the living room, maybe in their favorite chair, maybe sitting at the dining room table. That often happens, especially when it's time to look at mementos or photos, but it's very important that they feel at home and at ease. Um, and so generally that means you will be going to their home. Now I've also had multiple, interviews with people who preferred to um, meet at their office. And that in general, just because of the age of the elders that I typically work with, um, that's usually the men. And you can understand because if a man is, um, his identity revolves more around his career and the, the, um, the success or not that he had in life, then the office is going to be the place where he really does feel comfortable. Once you determine the best place to conduct the interview, it's time to get out all of your gear. Right from the beginning, even if you are a brand new personal historian, you have the opportunity to show that you are a professional. As soon as you pull out your recorder and start setting up, you own the situation. 
Uh, most people aren't familiar with recording equipment. And even if you have the simplest layout, which is what I recommend for the beginning, it's something that people are not used to seeing. Um, so you, you lay out your recorder, your primary recorder, and your backup recorder. And that sends a subliminal message to the storyteller that you know what you're doing, and they are in good hands and do not need to worry. Let's move on to the actual gear that you'll be using. Um, what I'm going to do is just explain to you or walk you through what my uh, recording kit looks like. I know a lot of personal historians have moved to um, eliminating recorders altogether and they're just using their iPhone or their iPad. I haven't quite gotten that far yet, um, but I know that there are some very good apps that you can use to record on either of those devices. I don't know anything about Android. I'm assuming that they also have some apps. Um, one thing that I would warn you against, though, is not using the voice recorder that comes already on your iPhone um, because it will time itself out and it'll turn off on you long before you're done with an interview. There are a couple of things that you'll want to keep in mind when you are choosing your either app or recorder, um, and that is whether you need a recording that's just good enough for a transcriptionist or for yourself if you're going to be doing your own transcribing, or if you actually want to use the audio as an end product. In that case, you're going to want something that's much cleaner. And I'll address this in a future podcast episode. But um, it, the style of interviewing actually changes a little bit too when you're doing an audio project. As far as the technology, though, um, you want to have something that's going to give you a good, clear sound. And one thing that I use is uh, the Rode Recorder. That's the app, and that can go, that allows you to record right onto your iPad or your iPhone. And the reason I got that one, and it's it's Rode R O D E, and I believe the app is Rode R O D E, and then just Reek like R E C. Um, and it cost a few bucks. It wasn't very expensive, but it, it's not a free app. The reason I got that app was because I bought a Rode um, Lav uh, mic, so Lavalier, and it gives a very, very good sound. Now, for the most part, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to need to use a Lavalier mic or a lapel mic. You'll be fine with just setting a recorder with a built-in mic on a flat surface somewhere between you and the the um, storyteller. What I use for most of my interviews, which are geared towards the life story books, is a, um, a Handy. It's a Zoom Handy H2. I've had it for years. I actually bought it before I even got into this business. It's a field recorder and it's it works phenomenally. Um, I, I did buy a bigger... Um, memory card for it because what it came with was pretty small. So I think I now have a 16 gigabyte. Um, we won't go through the settings. You'll We can talk about that in a different podcast episode. And I don't actually recommend that you get this recorder because I know that Zoom has a lot of newer models that you can choose from if you want a field recorder. The one thing, one of the reasons why I really like it is it's, um, it's a recorder with a built-in mic and the mic sits on top of the recorder. It's very small. It's easily, you can hold it in your hand. Um, but the 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 built-in mic actually has um, rear microphones and front microphones. And the way I usually use it is I, 
I have it aligned so that the rear microphones are powered on. Um, it will still pick up my voice, but I have the rear microphones facing the storyteller, the front facing me. That way I can see the red light that indicates that the recording is going. And throughout the interview, I, I'm every few minutes or so, I, I look down to make sure that the recording is indeed happening. In addition to that, I always have a backup recorder going. Um, and what I use for that is just a little handheld, um, it's an Olympus digital voice recorder. And I think I probably bought it for 30, 35 bucks. It's very cheap and it, the sound is really crystal clear on it too. And trust me, you want to have a backup just because something will happen at some point. I know that the hard way and I'm sure most other people do too. Now with my Zoom, I have the ability to plug it into an outlet. And that is what I always do. I bring an extension cord that's part of my gear kit because I don't like relying on the batteries. You never know when they're going, going to go out. Having said that, I always bring extra batteries um, in case there is no uh, place for me to conveniently plug in and I have to use it running off of batteries. And I, I actually have batteries for the Zoom and a different size battery for the little Olympus recorder. What I recommend is that you start both recorders. So you place them so that they'll be able to pick up the sound from mostly from your storyteller, but your voice as well. So somewhere between the two of you. And then start them both. Um, and after you have them both going, there's no need to sync them up or anything. One is just going to be the backup. But you want to have at the beginning of each recording the date and the name of the person that you're interviewing. And it's also a good idea to put what interview number. So let's say you're meeting somebody for the third interview, you would say today is July 24th, 2017. And I'm sitting here with Mr. Joe Blow. And this is our third interview together. I learned that the hard way, um, numbering the interviews, because it's very easy for them to get out of order, especially if you don't have a regular naming convention, which I definitely recommend that you do um, to keep all of your files in good order. And that, again, is something that I can discuss in a later podcast and just walk you through how I do it. I'm sure you can probably figure out something on your own, too. Okay, um, so that's how I set up my recorders. And obviously, there's lots of different ways. Some people use external mics. Again, if you are just getting a recording, capturing the, the interview um, for transcription purposes, an external mic would be overkill. You don't need to go to the expense of doing that. Um, if you are, however, selling the audio, your your the end product is going to be audio, then you might want to consider investing in an external mic and a higher end recorder. Um, now, I didn't start off with the setup that I just told you about. When I first began years ago, I was very cost conscious. I, you know, I wanted to make sure that anybody who wanted to have their story done was able to do so, um, no matter what their budget was. So obviously, some of the lots of the projects that I took on did not end up as full fledged books. But one way that I managed to cut costs was by eliminating the need for transcription. And I did that by typing as the storyteller was talking. Now, I have mad typing skills, I can type very quickly. And what's even better is I can type, type and maintain eye contact with the client at the same time. Um, now, that's not something that everybody's going to be a 
able to do. In addition, something else that helped, I did not use a laptop, um, which I think definitely puts up barriers. I, I, you know, when I go to doctor's offices, and the doctor sits there taking notes on the laptop and looking at the laptop rather than looking at me or one of my kids, it drives me a little nuts, to be honest. Um, So I don't, I don't want you to put any barriers between you and the storyteller. And to that end, I used something called a Neo. It's this small word processor, and I I think it was developed for school children. Uh, It's got a tiny little screen with um, a kind of a dark readout. Would that be LED? I'm not sure what that's called. Um, But it's, it runs on a few AA batteries, maybe three AA batteries. And supposedly you can drop it from five feet, which I've never tried to test um, without it breaking. But it's, it's a good little sturdy machine. And um, it easily can sit on your lap or the way I used it was I had it on my lap and I would just type away and I'd be looking at the storyteller as I was typing. Um, obviously, I was making tons of mistakes, which I couldn't then go back and correct. Uh, but I I got a good enough transcription out of it that I was able to use it for the for the books that I was doing. However, what I started to realize was that, you know, I was saving a little bit of money for the clients, but I did not feel as present as I should be. And Folks, if there is one thing that you should take out of this, it's that this is an incredible honor that people are giving us um, their stories. So for us to be listening and bearing witness to their stories, they're placing their trust in us. And that actually leads me to what I think is the most important part of the interviewing. You have to be obviously familiar with your equipment and know how to use it, but the lifeblood, the, the real essence of doing these interviews has nothing to do with the technical side. It's all about bringing your compassionate, active listening skills to each and every interview. Interviewing, in my mind, is an art, and it's something that you will get better at as you go along. Um, you, you won't be polished at the very beginning, but the more you do it, the better you'll get. And we all start at the beginning. There are books written about the skill of interviewing. There's lots of advice that you can find. There are articles, and I actually I'm going to link to one of my favorites called The Art of Listening. I'll link to that in the show notes. But I suggest at the very beginning that you don't put too much pressure on yourself. You don't need to do anything perfectly. Let yourself improve incrementally. The best way to do that is through practice. Practice interviewing on your kids. Um, one of the bonuses from that is that it's it's going to be fun in the in coming years to listen back to those recordings. Um, practice on your parents, practice on the family elders, practice on your friends. You don't need to make it a formal setting, although you can. Um, but start just whipping out your smartphone and pressing record, then asking questions. Or if you have a family member that's in the middle of a good story, maybe you're at a family event or just sitting around the dinner table, hit record and sit back until it's time to dive deeper and then guide them to that deeper place. So, so that way you're actively practicing the skills that you will need once you start doing this with paying clients. Now, the best part about practicing on friends and family members is that um, A, they're not going to be judging your skills which is huge because you don't want to feel self-conscious when you're doing something for the first time. The other big advantage is that if you're not taking money for this, there's no pressure. 
Uh, no pressure to do something right or to do it perfectly. If you're going to sit down with your great aunt Glenda and not charge her for your time, which I'm assuming you won't, she's going to be thrilled to just sit there and have somebody listen to her stories. And at the same time, you're going to be improving your interviewing skills. You know, you hear it takes 10,000 hours for to master a new skill. No, you're not going to need 10,000 hours. Um, at the beginning, you just do as well as you possibly can. You bring your A game each time you sit down with somebody. So let's talk a little bit about what these skills are that pertain to the communication aspect of the of the interview. When I sit down for my initial sales meeting with people, I explain that I don't even really use the word interview. I, I like to use the word conversation because that's how I want them to think of it. Interviewing has something a little bit scary about it. And so I tell them, think of this as sitting down with a family friend who's curious about your life. And that is true. It is a conversation, except it has to be more than that. As a personal historian, you need to be bringing more to the interview than just a pair of ears. You're their blank slate. You are a fresh person who has not heard their stories before. You want to hear them. You want to listen to them tell their stories. But you also, as you are listening, need to be thinking a step or two ahead. Because in a special way, you're their guide down this road of reflection. And when they're talking, you should be attending to what they say, but at the same time, formulating questions that will follow. So that means starting them on a new topic or expanding the one that they're already talking about. And there are a couple of things that make this challenging. One of them is diving deeper. So drilling down is one of the most overlooked parts of this type of interview. When we're in conversation, generally, we're not thinking about specific details. So if we're, you know, sitting with somebody and just having a a casual conversation, we don't need to know all of the details. There's a lot of information that gets transferred non-verbally. So the excitement, the emotion, um, the emotion that's evoked when somebody's talking about something that happened to them in the past. But that's not enough for when we go back to the computer and need to start writing up their story. We need to get a lot more details than what people are generally used to giving. If you're going to build a scene or um, have some exposition that really comes to life for the reader, you need to drill down. Let's say, for example, a man is talking about a cross-country driving trip. He took years ago in his convertible. And yes, this this is really an example from an interview that I did. So it's clear that there's a lot of emotional punch. You can tell by the way he recounts the story that it taps into this, this era of youthfulness, of having an adventure. And you can feel that by just the way that he's expressing himself, right? But his emotion is not going to come through on the page unless you dig for the details that will make the story vivid to his readers. And to do that, you need concrete, specific details. So what color was the car? What model? Was this his first car? Was it a gift from his parents? Or did he have to scrimp and save to buy it himself? In this particular man's story, he and a fellow Air Force Academy cadet were racing up the East Coast, both in their own little sports cars. Even the small detail of telling the reader that the storyteller's car was red and his buddy's car was blue helps paint this picture, right? So now the reader can see these two young cadets zipping up these roads of New England. Sometimes when it's an oft-told story, something that the storyteller has told timeless, you know, time and time again, 
Um, they'll look at you a little funny when you try to slow things down and ask for more specific details. They're not used to thinking in terms beyond how they've always told the story. So a quick explanation on why you need the details, you know, just that you need them to bring the story alive on the page, usually takes care of it. And as a bonus, it also, again, lets them know that you are in charge and that you are competent and that they are in the hands of a professional. In the case of my Air Force storyteller, asking him about the car brought up a bunch of other stuff, including a really funny anecdote involving his father-in-law-to-be. So who knows if that would have made it into our interviews otherwise. Um, the, the people that you're going to be sitting across from know their own stories, and you know the kinds of things that you need to make those stories sing in the book. And you have to find, part of your job as a personal historian is to find ways that those two overlap. The common ground. Drilling down and asking questions around the perimeter of anybody's story, are, those are good ways to get stories that people don't think to tell because it's not on their repertoire of common stories that they have been telling for years. But here's where it gets tricky. Every time you interrupt the storyteller, you run the risk of getting them out of their flow. So you have to be judicious about when you pose the questions and consider how it will affect the conversation. Is it something you can hold off until the end of the interview to ask or during the next natural pause? But even that can be risky, though, because one of the hardest things to learn about interviewing is to keep silent during the pauses. Sometimes the storyteller is just waiting for you to ask the next question or broach the next topic, but very often they'll stop speaking to gather their thoughts. The quiet moments are just as important to the overall interview as the ones that are full of talking. So you want to drill down, but you want to do it in as unobtrusive a way as possible, in a way that will not disturb the flow of their story. And it's a real balancing act, one that you'll get better at as, you know, with the more interviews you do. And that brings us right back to the importance of practicing. What I'd like you to do is go out there, find people to practice on, start doing some interviews, don't worry so much about your style or about how you're coming across. Just practice the skill of active listening, of really being present for your storyteller. And then let me know how it goes. I'd love to hear back from you about your experiences and any questions or struggles that you have. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.